Welcome back to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator, and every Saturday morning at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few issues of the day. However, this is really your opportunity to speak with the Premier directly, to ask questions, to voice your concerns, whatever's on your mind, but just remember, please keep it short and respectful. Premier Danielle Smith wants to hear from you. You can call or text in Calgary, the number is 403-974-8255. In Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Premier Smith, welcome to the show. Hi, Wayne. Nice to talk with you again. So much has happened since the last time I was on the show. Oh, boy, I tell you, I, I don't envy your position. Now, on our last show, I offered my congratulations on your UCP leadership win. Now it's congratulations on your by-election win in Brooks Medicine Hat. Well, thank you for that. It was an excellent campaign down there with some really strong candidates. And so I was uh, delighted to get the mandate that I did. 55% of the residents of Brooks Medicine Hat have given me a, an endorsement to represent them. And I can't wait to get into the legislature on November the 29th. That's when we're going to be returning with a throne speech. All right. Now, it's one thing to win the party leadership. And critics say... It, the by-election win wasn't as decisive as you may have wanted, but it's going to be quite another to win the province next May 29th. So well, has your margin... I guess I would have to say I, I did double the NDP vote, so I know okay. I know that there are commentators who are always looking for a sour lining in any result, but that was really decisive. And let's remember as well, there was another party leader who was in that race. Uh, Barry Morshita, the Alberta party, was All also right. in the race. And he was pretty popular in uh, in the area because he represented Brooks for a number of years. So it was a hard-fought race, and now, so I'm pretty happy the, to have gotten the, the mandate I did. On the Alberta Morning News this morning, Kevin Osselman did a, a straw poll. He received 107 texts. 52% of those texts said that they would be in favor of supporting you in the uh, provincial election. 44% said no, and the rest were undecided. Now, keep that in mind. But given the margin of victory in Brooks Medicine Hat, capturing around 55% of the votes, has that impacted your campaign to win the province? I, I know very well that we have a lot of work to do. Um, we, we've been polling behind the NDP for two and a half years. And I think we'd all hope that the contested leadership contest would, would help us uh, be able to, to get ahead of the NDP. I, I think we still have some work to do, particularly in Calgary and Edmonton, um, there's a, a lot of the issues that were raised during the leadership were were pressure points and issues that had caused us to, to lose ground, largely in our rural areas. But I, I think that there are some issues that are still plaguing us in, in Calgary and Edmonton, in particular, making sure that we're supporting our, our kids in the classroom, because we've got a lot of learning loss that happened over the last two and a half years, as well as making sure that uh, we're able to address the, the healthcare crisis that we have right now. So those are the things that are clearly in my line of sight. And I, I think we'll be judged in the next election on the basis of how well we manage to, to handle both of those issues and many more. Has the by-election reordered your priorities? I mean, for example, bringing some issues more to the forefront and moving others back. And is there now a greater sense of urgency to get things done? I'll tell you what, what has reordered our, our priorities is a, a really productive and constructive caucus meeting that we had uh, shortly after I became premier, I, I met with every single one of my MLAs one-on-one -on -one to find out why they're in politics. And then we had a caucus retreat 
in Sylvan Lake. And we did a, a, a lot of hard work about what we think the priorities are for Albertans. And so out of that came a number of different things. Number one, I would say, is the affordability crisis that we're facing. I'll, we, we can talk a little bit more about that, but I'll tell you just high level what I hear when I go to the doors. I, when I was door knocking down in Brooks Medicine Hat, every time you met a senior, they were concerned about the cost of groceries and their home heating and electricity and their prescription drug costs. And then when you meet a family, especially one with teenagers in the home, the, 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 the cost of, of groceries as well it hits them really hard, as well as gasoline and diesel, because especially if you've got teenagers driving, it's, it's really putting a pinch on family budgets. So we've heard that loud and clear. And I have a new uh, affordability and utilities minister, Matt Jones, who's putting together a package. I released his, his uh, mandate letter this week to address a number of those issues. Jobs and economy. Sure. Of course, is a, another major issue, and we're, we're so blessed to have so many people who want to move to Alberta to help us fill shortages in qualified labor. We just had a wonderful announcement that 14,000 new jobs were also created last month, so that's another major priority. So we want to keep that going because if people have good-paying jobs, they're going to be able to take care of their families and their communities. In addition, we want to, we're going to have to reform health care, and I don't want to there's a whole series of things that we want to do there. I'll, I'll let you do a follow-up question sure. so I can get into more granular detail on that. And then the, the fourth thing is standing up to Ottawa. And one of the things that I think is the, the first signal that how, about how seriously I take that is that we, we sent um, our Environment and Protected Areas Minister, Sonia Savage, to COP27 to represent us there. Because, quite frankly, I just don't believe that the federal government and Environment Minister Stephen Gibbow is doing the job of representing all of the wonderful things that we are doing in Alberta. We've got to represent ourselves. When you look at what happened last week with the air products announcement, we have got a, uh, a carbon neutral hydrogen project that's going ahead with joint federal and provincial support, which is fantastic. But those are the kind of things that we should be trumpeting on the international stage. We are going to be a world leader in some of these new and emerging uh, technologies. Absolutely. And that's why, and that's why uh, standing up to Ottawa and making sure that they know that we intend to fully assert our right to develop our resources and defend them. The, we've made the first steps on that. We're going to continue. All right. One more question before we hit the phone and text lines. Your victory speech on Tuesday really seemed to hit the notes that are going to resonate with, with most Albertans, the issues you've uh, just uh, addressed. At the Rural Municipalities of Alberta Convention on Thursday, you stated that Albertans are going to have more money in their wallets right away. Now, is this going to be in the form of direct payments like Ralph Box, or as some are already labeling your promise, Danielle Dollars? <laughs> You know, I, I, I'll, I'll make sure that um, I don't scoop Matt Jones on his announcement. I can tell you it's a package of reforms, and we're going to be targeting it. Because I heard loud and clear that um, if you just send out $500 checks to everyone, that you're not necessarily targeting the nature of the problem. And you may also contribute to the inflation crisis that we have. So we're going to be giving targeted support to seniors, parents, and the most vulnerable. We'll be re-indexing um, age and seniors benefit because those are our most vulnerable citizens who need to make sure that they have support. We'll be continuing with the indexing on personal income tax. We'll have more to say about how we'll provide relief for electricity and natural gas bills as well as uh, as uh, as the uh, gasoline and diesel. All right. uh, we're going to support everyone, but those who are most in need are going to get uh, additional support. All right. I'm looking forward to that announcement as I'm sure the, uh, the rest of the province is. Let's hit right to the phones. We're going to go with uh, Dave in Calgary. He's been hanging on for, uh, well, since the show started. Dave, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. 
Hey, good morning. Uh, really pleased to hear that you're, uh, you're, you're still doing this program, Premier. Um, cutting right to the point, it's been said that uh, by the time you have to explain your position, you've already lost the argument. And I think I've heard you say that before yourself. I hope that you will be able to uh, more clearly get your positions out and understood and will become more efficient in doing so. Um, I think that's part of the stumbling tripwire that, that you may be encountering since you were uh, running for leadership and elected uh, as the leader. And, you know, just by analogy, just as in the courts, it, it's it's as important to be perceived to do right as it is to actually do right. And it's as important to be perceived to be not radical or outlandish as it is to not be radical or, or outlandish. And, and if you give the media a hammer uh, uh, to, uh, of calling you out or a hammer to hit you with, darn sure, as you know, they will try and hit you with it. So uh, you will spend all your time diffusing the comments that uh, the media is uh, rebuking you with rather than advancing your agenda towards your goals. And lastly, uh, I would ask you to consider whether you consider yourself a representative or a delegate of the people of Alberta, because as you will appreciate, Premier, those are two very different things. Okay, thank you, Dave. Great, great comments. Um, there's, I'd say a couple of things. I mean, people know because I've been a talk radio host and because I've been in the media, going back to 1999, I have a very long history of commenting on uh, topics of the day. And, and part of the job when you are a commentator is you have to be provocative. You have to raise the issues that are causing division and where people have polarized views because you, you want to play a role in bringing people together. But I'm not a talk radio host anymore. And, uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned that to the media and I think they, they be, have begun to understand that I, I suppose we could keep on playing a parlor game going back 27 years and pull out things that out of context to try to, to embarrass me or try to make it look like I'm... Um, that I that I'm extreme, and I'm, I just don't think that's very productive. I think the more productive way is to realize I used to have a, a different job, and now I have a job as premier, and so I've got to make sure that I'm taking care of the interests of Albertans, and that's what I intend to do. I should also say it's it's we we have legislation in place where uh, you're not allowed to make funding announcements in the middle of an election campaign. And so I, I, I can sense Dave's frustration about how some of the media coverage has taken place over the last month. But I wasn't able really to defend myself on a lot of those things because we had to hold back on some of the great announcements that uh, that I'm now sharing post-election. And I, I think that, that people are going to be very happy. I've got a I've got an incredible caucus team. I've got an incredible team of ministers, and all of them had input into their priorities from now until the next election. So we've rolled out mandate letters in two of our major areas in affordability and our fight with Ottawa. We've got two more to come, two more major areas to come on jobs in the economy and healthcare. And I, th I think people will see that we're we're being very measured and. Um, and I think identifying the issues that really matter to Albertans. Okay, I've just got to interrupt, got to interrupt okay. you, Danielle. We have to go yeah. to our, for a break, but we Perfect. will be back. I'm Wayne Nelson, and we are talking with Premier Danielle Smith. More of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. 
If you're just joining us today, you are listening to Your Province, Your Premier, heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta. In Edmonton on 630 Chad and right here in Calgary on 770 CHQR. This is your opportunity to be heard by the Premier to chat one-on-one with Premier Danielle Smith. I'm sure everyone knows the phone lump, uh, phone numbers, but let's uh, go over them real quickly. In Calgary, you can call or text 403-974-8255. In Edmonton, call or text 780-496-0063. Uh, Premier Smith, just before the break, I, I know I interrupted you. Uh, <laughs> you've got lots of stuff to talk about. You got well, you have got well, a me... lot of spinning plates right now, and for many, the solutions are really complex. So I, I don't... I, I, I'd like to just move on to the next phone call if may, we could. May I, may I just say, because I can, I can actually address an issue that, that Dave raised. He was asking me whether I was a representative or a delegate. And I think right. what he's getting at is, do I take my direction from members and from the people, or do I make decisions on their behalf? And I have to tell you, it's a little bit of both. And I'll give you an example. I, when I was developing the mandate letters, I absolutely looked at our member past policy. I, I consulted with our caucus and I consulted with our cabinet ministers because I didn't want to make those decisions unilaterally because you, you, you need to get broad input. But I can tell you what, I, what I've had to take some leadership on, and it's the, the issue that we're dealing with the shortage of children's Tylenol. From what I understand, it is a, a problem with the packaging requirements, labeling requirements of French and English. That's what is being raised at the federal level. And uh, but because we're not seeing these same kinds of shortages in Mexico or in the United States. So just before actually our call today, I, I convened a meeting with the Pharmacists Association, the minister's office, and we're reaching out to the suppliers as well to see what we can do to help bridge that gap, either by bringing in brand name or by bringing in all of the components so that our compounding pharmacies have the supply that they need to be able to meet this demand. I also understand in the next couple of days, our federal government has procured some new supply and they're going to be working with us to roll that out. But we have this um, really nasty RSV virus that's going around with the young people. And it's um, the way viruses go is that they 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 come in very strong they ultimately will uh will subside but it, it may be weeks before that happens and we can't afford to wait weeks to to deal with it so Absolutely just know that not. that's one of the reasons why you have to take the the position that you got to do a little bit of both consult when you've got the luxury of being able to have the time but if you have to act quickly you got to act quickly all right let's go to glenn in red deer glenn go ahead you're on with premier danielle smith First of all, Danielle, congratulations. The first time I met you was when you were talking in Lloyd Minister and you said something to me and other people there that made a lot of sense. You said your dad told you common sense isn't very common anymore, and I'll never forget that. Now, my I still question take advice is, from my dad, so thanks for the congratulations. He'll be happy to hear that. Good. So uh, here's my point. Small business, a lot of small businesses are starting up. I've looked at the whole program. It's horrendous. It needs to be completely overhauled. And I've restructured major crowns and I know what I'm talking about. So uh, what the problem is, Danielle, is a small business starts up. Most of the time they have the money to start up. Example. There's a trucking company that I just did a contract for. They had the money. They started up. They're busy. We've got them a lot of work. But unfortunately, the banks won't give them a line of credit until they've had a year in business. Now, 
The problem in being as you grow in a trucking company, you're getting a lot more business. So you're burning a lot more gas. The gas companies give you 30 days. If you don't pay, they cut off your card. And when you're running big trucks all over Alberta, boy, that's not good. So, Glenn, you're so, saying that we need to streamline the process. No, what I'm telling you here is, just give me a second, this is so important to small businesses. What we need to do is be able to, to set up a part of this new business program where the, the government will step in behind and say 75% of your receivables because the big companies don't pay for 60 to 90 days, but the small companies have to pay the fuel bill every 30 or they get cut off. So 75% of what your receivables are, if the government step in and work with the banks a little bit, we would create so much business because let me tell you there's a lot of business happening there but these small companies are having to shut her down because they cannot get help from the bank on the line of credit it's all right common it's a, you sense, know it's a Danielle. great yeah, yeah you know what it's a great proposal i'd ask you to send your thoughts along to martin short he is our parliamentary secretary for small business and he's looking for good ideas exactly like that there's a couple things that were that i that come to my mind immediately one is prompt payment legislation i i, I think we're we've we've recently passed that we have to make sure it's being enforced because i've heard that story as well that if you are seeing 90 or 120 days before you get paid that is creating a real pinch for our subcontractors so that's one thing that we are working on the second is that this should be the role of the ATB and our credit unions. Alberta has the responsibility for regulating that area of banking. And in the past, the ATB used to be that uh, that safety net when, when times got tough to make sure that we were supporting our local businesses. So I'll be reviewing the, the mandate of ATB and, and seeing if we uh, need to give some, uh, some more direction there. But I have heard from many, many people, some of their frustration with what so exactly what you raised. So it's on my, it's on my radar, and, and thanks for your suggestion. All right, Danielle, we've got the three phone calls, all dealing with health care. I have a number of texts on health care. So I'm going to hit the text line first. This one is coming in from Alan in uh, Edmonton. He says, ask Premier Smith why she has copping on as health minister. He was part of locking people in and didn't push back against the issue with the unvaccinated lady not getting an organ transplant. Now, there's another text message with regards to that particular person and the organ transplant. So I'll get you to address both of those questions. Number one, uh, Jason Copping, and number two, the uh, the pushback on the uh, unvaccinated person not getting an organ transplant. So let me, let me deal with the, the second one first. Um, as people know, I'm consulting with a wide range of clinicians just to make sure that we've got second opinions and that we are making decisions that are in the best interest of patients. So just bear with me a little bit as I, I go through that process. I, I, I think that we're in a, a bit of a new world because we're transitioning into treating COVID as endemic and we have to make sure that we're making good clinical decisions. So I think that there's a little a, a little bit of additional investigation I need to do on that. And once I've, once I've got some, some more advice, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to share that. As for, uh, for Jason Copping as, as health minister, I, I must say this, that um, when, when I look at what has happened over the last three and a half years, a lot of it came 
from the recommendations of the experts. We were told by the experts to trust the experts at Alberta Health Services that they just needed time, they just needed money, and they would be able to solve all of our problems. And in point of fact, we did trust the experts and they let us down. They didn't expand uh, surge capacity. So here we are with a new virus, RSV, putting pressure on our emergencies, and they're proposing the same the same kind of measures that they did before and i have to tell you it's not acceptable it's not acceptable to parents to be as to to be asked to once again contemplate masking or school closures or online learning that's not what i'm hearing from parents we have to solve the problem at alberta health services okay. now why is jason copping in that position i must tell you he did a did a tremendous job repairing the relationship with the doctors he did a tremendous job um, in the negotiations with our frontline workers he is motivated as am i to make sure that we are getting in to Alberta Health Services and being more direct and giving them direction. We'll, we'll have more to say on that in the next week. But, uh, but, I, but I think we have to make sure that, that we understand that the problems that we're facing comes from management decisions that have been made by Alberta Health Services. And I, I have a very highly motivated health minister to work with me on resolving that. All right. Uh, Juggy, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name right, uh, is calling in from Edmonton on competitive medicine. I'll uh, make sure I get the right button pushed here. Go ahead, Juggy. You're on with Premier Smith. Hello. Hi, Juggy. Are you there? I hear feedback, so you got your radio turned on. All right. Uh, we're going to move on, and we're going to go to uh, Don in Edmonton. Uh, healthcare uh, for veterans. Go ahead, Don. You're on with Premier Smith. Hi, hi, Danielle. Thanks for uh, keeping continuing this show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, um, I was listening to a show out of the state, Daniel Brinkley. He's been doing it for 40 years, but he gets into whole health healing with uh, the veterans down in the States. Like, I don't know if you know, but down in the States, there's about 40 a day committing suicide. But we have mm. the same problem here in Canada because the government has completely dropped the ball on them. They can't get the um, physical support. They can't get the mental support. And so it's maybe the government likes it because then they don't have to pay as much. I don't know what actually the solution is, but... Uh, the the other thing is is um, going into the virus and the vaccinations uh, thing. It's, I know it's a touchy topic, but uh, anyway, um, first of all, the virus vac the vaccination shot that is made today is not a standard vaccination shot. It's not the one that they tried it 20 years ago and it didn't work, and now they're slamming us with it again. It's untested, unproven. And uh, from what I'm seeing, just based out of statistics, uh, states, anybody can Google this. Brad, if I could get you to get to the point, if you don't mind. Okay, so basically one-third of the people are su suffering severe side effects from this current vaccination shot that's untested. And when they make websites where they can go to, where they can discuss what's going on, they don't even mention vaccination shot. They're getting cut down. So could, is it possible that the government could make a website that people that have suffered effects from vaccination shots could go on there and file their complaints without it being taken down and put their stories on there? Let me see what I can do. As I mentioned, I have a, a broad number of doctors that I'm assembling to give me advice as we get through this fall respiratory virus season. And with RSV emerging, we've got influenza, we still have COVID out there. We have to have a holistic approach as, a, as opposed to just zeroing in on one particular type of virus. So that's the reason why I'm, I'm working really hard to make sure I've got a broad number 
of doctors uh, speaking uh, speaking with me to, to give advice. And, you know, the, the advice has been the same every single respiratory virus season. If you're sick, stay home. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask if that, if that helps you feel protected. If you're vulnerable, talk to your doctor if uh, vaccination is the right choice for you. And, and those are the kind of things that, that, that we're going to continue doing. But, it, but the core is that we've got to make sure that when people do get to a point where they need to be hospitalized, that they've got the care that they need because we've got an efficient way of getting them treated and admitted into hospital. And that's what I'm, what I'm going to be focusing on. But I will, I'll, I'll take um, some advice from the docs about the, the, that second point that you raised. And, uh, and the other question that you had about was about veterans. I should just mention that. Uh, we have our pioneers in this province of a new approach to help uh, treat mental health and addiction. And often those two things are related. And what we have done is we're about to build six recovery communities so that somebody who's suffering that kind of distress has a place to go where they can be in a community and get wraparound services and get that kind of support. I'll be talking with um, with my uh, mental health and addictions minister, uh, Nick Milliken, to see if there's any additional measures that we've got to take for veterans in particular. But we have got a major North American-wide crisis. But the good news is that that we are already um, doing so much better in addressing this. We've had a 51% year-over-year decrease in opioid deaths. We've had a 33% decrease in the amount of hospitalizations due to opioid poisoning. I think we've had a 39% reduction in the number of ambulance calls due to the, the due to overdose. So I, I think the the the, the the system is working and we're getting international recognition for it. And so we're going to keep on, on, on okay. working the, that plan. And if we need to, to do something special for veterans, I'll just make sure that my minister is aware of that. All right. We're going to switch gears. Uh, Murray has a, a question from Edmonton on legal tent cities. Boy, that's a, a big issue I know in Los Angeles and many other cities uh, throughout North America. So, uh, Murray, you're on with Premier Smith. Go ahead. Hello, Premier. How are you? Good. So, I'm troubled. I live in a, the hood of Edmonton, Stony Plain Road, 156th Street. There's homeless everywhere. So, it just drives me crazy. Here, I have a question and a suggestion, please. My yep. question, has the Alberta government ever considered legal tent cities located on the grounds of existing provincial facilities? Using Edmonton as an example... Alberta Hospital, there's hundreds of acres of grass and trees, and Henwood Treatment Center, hundreds of acres of grass and trees. Legal tent cities, You, this is where you put your tent. What do you think of that idea? And your second part of your question? Could we please get the minister, uh, the mental health minister, to put on a dark hat and sunglasses and come to the Tim Hortons on 157 and Stony Plain Road, Edmonton, sit down for a day, bring your computer, you can do office work, but just watch the movie in the lobby where the customers are. I swear to God, he'll be in shock. Psychotic episodes, just just unbelievable, Daniel, I'm not lying. You touched me last week, I think it was, you said a family member of yours died homeless on the streets. So I think you care. Yeah. And we, we need legal tent cities. Period. Put an ACO trailer for showers, an ACO trailer for laundry, an ACO trailer for TV. Put your tent here. Oh, look at that big pile of camp wood, firewood, light a fire. We don't do drugs here, though. Thank Thanks. you for Thanks. taking my call. Thank you, Murray. 
Marie, I, I appreciate you, you trying to find a solution. I think you've, you've hit on something important about why our approaches haven't been successful in the, in the past. Um, and part of the approach that we're taking is differently, differently is that there, there actually is a, a danger that happens to those who are addicted. If we try to uh, do this housing first approach, it's one of, the, one of the problems that we have is that if you don't start dealing with the underlying addiction problem, if you just put an addict in behind closed doors uh, without uh, wraparound support and community, that's where uh, a large percentage of people end up overdosing. And so our approach is different. We're, we're understanding this community aspect and how important it is once somebody has gotten to the, to the state where they're living on the street addicted, they need a huge amount of support to get to a point of independence. That's what this recovery community is all about. It's about keeping a community aspect so that uh, we can uh, allow people to transition into treatment. I, I must tell you, I'm, I'm not inclined to want to formalize living on the street in the way that you describe. I, I think that it is not a dignified way for somebody who's in um, facing mental health and addiction to be living like that, especially when we get into winter. I think we have to find a different approach that supports them as a community, but always but doesn't give up on people. We, we have to know that even though it's hard to get clean from, from the evil of addiction, it can be done. There's success stories all over. And that's the approach that we're taking is we want to give everybody a chance. Right. So, I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm not inclined to want to, to move down the path that I've seen if in this documentary, if you haven't seen it, Vancouver is dying, where they seem to be formalizing that type of approach. I don't think it's the, the best way to support those who are, who are so vulnerable and in need. We want to try something different. All right. A text message in on the uh, CHQR line. Uh, please ask uh, Premier Smith, is part of the review of the AHS, is she looking at not only board of directors, but also into administration that are mostly made up of overpaid lawyers? There, there's no question that there's a leadership problem at Alberta Health Services. And the, the way that you solve that leadership problem is there has to be more hands-on um, direction from myself and from our health minister. And we're prepared to do that. We're going to be making an announcement next week or in the next week or two as we start solidifying what that approach is going to be. But the, the main things that we've already identified that we need to do to demonstrate pro progress is we need to to, uh, to to address the problem in our emergency rooms. My, my dad had to be hospitalized for a bacterial infection, as it turned out, and he waited 20 hours in an emergency room before he was admitted to a hospital bed. And so that is, I mean, I'm premier, but I'm, I'm a concerned daughter too and if that's the experience my family is having it's the experience every family is having and it's not acceptable so that's one thing that we have to address second thing is we have to make sure that we're not burning out our paramedics so many of them end up getting dropped go, trying to drop patients off at hospital and they're not able to leave one of the uh, doctors i've been consulting with who had to use ambulance to get to a hospital for a broken leg he said he was 22nd in line behind 21 other ambulances in front of him that must be repaired too because it's burning out our paramedics and it's also not good patient care. The third thing is the backlog in surgical procedures. And you know, to give AHS some credit, we're almost back to the same kind of wait times that we had prior to COVID. So 68,000 surgeries is what we've chronically had on our surgical wait list. In my opinion, 
that's not good enough. We, we should be getting down to a point where every person who is waiting for surgical care is able to get it in a me- medically recommended period of time. So that's a third area. And the, the way we're going to approach that is by using all of the unused operating rooms that are in, um, uh, we've got 106 AHS facilities everywhere I've traveled. I keep hearing about operating rooms that are not in service. So let's use them so that we can clear that backlog. And then of course, the fourth area, is we have to get back down to more local control and local decision-making. This uh, experiment of moving everything to central decision-making has worked for some things, but it is, is certainly not delivered good patient care in communities. And so those are the four major areas that we're going to be tackling. And as I mentioned, we'll have more to say about that next week. All right, text message on the uh, QR line. With all due respect, you do not have a mandate from the province, especially regarding police, our star and pension plans we need an election our star uh, for those who are uh, not familiar with it is the um, uh, oil well uh, the dead oil well uh, uh, orphan oil wells and and getting those back on on track and uh, there's been a lot of criticism about the plan that is uh, that is currently uh, before the province on the on the our star program as well well i guess the way I'd, I'd, I'd put it to you is that um, the part of the reason why I, sh- I know it's going to be complicated, it's really just a royalty credit program to try to clean up the worst wells in Alberta. One of the, the things that we did as a government was that we allowed for companies to um, pass forward their liabilities without cleaning them up. And part of the reason I got involved in act- activism on this is that one of my uh, one of the people I was lobbying with, with a, an organization called Sustaining Alberta's Energy Network, he had a flare pit on his site. Now, people may not know what that is, but it was basically a pool of water where they discarded all sorts of things on a active well site that they didn't know what to deal with. We have over 4,000 of those that are still in the province, and they're going to cost hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to clean up. And we created a system where we allow for these to be transferred forward. It's not the guy who owns the, the site today that created the problem is the guy who created the problem in the 1960s who i who we want to hold accountable and, and that's part of the problem though isn't it i mean uh, you just had uh, paul mclaughlin at the rural municipalities uh, of alberta convention saying that you know the current plan is how a fox would design a hen house yeah comp- and I, I understand the the, the concern there I, I think we all expected that the industry would boom forever yeah. and then at the end of uh, the, the life of a well that they would then clean it up. And that's not what's happened. So we have to take a comprehensive approach to that. We have uh, $30 billion that have been identified as liabilities. We now are through the regulator going to mandate and require companies to clean up three three to 4% of their liability each year. So we're, we're getting moving. But but what I'm most concerned about is that um, the, the kind of wells that are currently getting cleaned up under the incentive programs that we have are the ones that are the easiest to clean up. The gas wells, they do the downhole abandonment. We don't do the surface reclamation. We don't do the vegetation management. They're not being returned to productive use. And we, if we keep on doing things the same old way, we're going to get the same old result. So I'm prepared to try a pilot project to see if we can get some of those worst wells cleaned up. Um, as for the other ones, the... I believe we do have a mandate. When I look at what um, Premier Kenny ran on in uh, back in, in 2019, he very clearly ran on a mandate to get tough with Ottawa. We did the Fairness Alberta panel discussion led by Drew Barnes and, and Preston Manning. And they, we very clearly heard from Albertans that they wanted to act on uh, a lot of those firewall letter 
um, proposals that were written all the way back in 2001. We got a mandate from the people on the issue of removing equalization from the Constitution. I think, in fact, the, pro the reason we, we have, have had some trouble uh, in the polls is because we didn't act far enough or fast enough on the mandate we were given in 2019. So um, I assure you, we're going to be moving on these, on these items. I've heard loud and clear from Albertans that they want us to stand up to Ottawa. All right. We're going to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier. Your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. -on -one. If you have a specific question you'd like the Premier to answer, uh, just give us a call or send us a text. You know the numbers. And please keep it short, and we'll ask Premier Smith to keep her answers uh, short as well because this is our final segment, and it is a shorter segment. So let's go right now to uh, Brad in Edmonton. We'll start things off. Brad has a question about the Alberta Advantage. Go ahead, Brad. You're on with Premier Smith. Hi, good morning. Yeah, I just have a quick question. Years ago, we used to talk a lot about the Alberta Advantage for um, the average working Albertan, and I think it was one of the first things the NDP implemented was a tiered income tax rate, and I'm just wondering when we're going to get back to that Alberta Advantage for Albertan workers. You know, the Alberta Advantage, in my view, had... Sorry, I'm getting some feedback there, Wayne. I don't know if you can put Brad there we on go. pause. Yep. There you go. That's perfect. The, the Alberta advantage, I think, was broadly speaking that we had the best tax environment compared to any other jurisdiction. And that's what I would like to get back to. And I, I want to make sure that when we're analyzing whether it's our corporate income tax structure, our small business tax rate, our personal income tax rate, how we levy taxes on liquor and cannabis, how we levy taxes on fuel. Those are the kind of things that we need to make sure that that entire package offers a very clear advantage relative to uh, the other the other provinces. So um, our, there's a couple things. Our, uh, first of all, our finance minister, uh, Travis Taves, is, is going to be working on helping issuing our, our second uh, quarter update very shortly. And that'll give you an indication of where we find ourselves at. Then we will also be in the process of issuing our budget in February of 2023. So that will allow us to do a few more things on addressing some of those issues. I'm just very mindful of the fact that we have to be cautious about reducing taxes before we address some of the other major issues that we have. We have a structural deficit still because um, our cost of programs relative to other provinces is still high on a per capita basis. We, we still have a, a massive debt. I think it's in the order of $87 billion. And remember, uh, Premier Klein reduced taxes after he'd put aside a, a plan for us to become debt-free. That's a priority for me. We also know that Quebec is almost at a point with their sovereign wealth fund that they're going to exceed the value of our Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund. I think that's going to be outrageous to a lot of Albertans. So we need to have a long-term savings plan so that we're putting some of that money aside for future generations. So I think there's a lot of priorities that, that we have to balance and, and that will you'll see a little bit more of that when you see the, the budget update as well as the budget in 2023. But I'm mindful of the fact that we want to be the best in the, in the country and I'm with you on it. All right. John is uh, calling in from uh, Edmund. John's been hanging on the line here here for well over 20 minutes. Uh, go ahead, John. You're on with Premier Klein, uh, with Premier Smith. <laughs> Premier Klein, boy, there's a yeah, Freudian slip right there. Freudian slip. Hey, I, Ralph was one of my heroes. I don't mind the, I don't mind the confusion. <laughs> well, thank you very much and good morning. Um, I'm, uh, we have a small business, a fairly specialized one. It was a dance studio uh, where we teach, you know, tap, jazz, ballet, and everything. And uh, 
COVID shutdowns really literally did lock us down because you just can't teach dance on Zoom. Uh, we're recovering, but we lost a lot of our senior students, you know, that take eight hours a week of dance, and we're uh, replacing them with babies that take one. So we're still going to be struggling getting through at least this next year. So what I would uh, urge, I know you can't set policy on the radio, but some kind of, I mean, grants would be nice. The grants from the federal and, and provincial got us through last year. But uh, some kind of a, even just a guaranteed loan program for for the upcoming year. I think if we can get through one more year, we'll we'll stay in business. But we're, we're very much in danger of having to close our doors even now. So uh, just to urge you to consider some kind of a guaranteed loan program for small businesses that are still suffering the the effects of the lockdown. So, John, and I'll leave yeah, that John, with you. Thank you very much. John, thanks so much for that. Once again, I'll, um, I'll ask you to give some ideas to Martin Long, our Parliamentary Secretary for Small Business. And I'm, I'm very mindful of the fact that there were certain businesses that were hit harder than any others during COVID. Uh, the restaurant business, for instance, as you know, uh, my family is in the restaurant business. We, we saw almost an immediate recovery once we were allowed to open because customers were so generous. But I don't think it was the same experience in hotels. I think gyms are still suffering. I think, as you mentioned, some of the other activities for kids, there's uh, there's probably other areas that we might just need to have some kind of program to help bridge the gap to get back to normal. So I'm, I'm very open to hearing some of those suggestions. So, uh, so just contact Martin Long. He'll be uh, leading the effort to try to identify ways that we can help small business, and in particular, those where there's still some support gaps. Um, once again, too, with uh, the suggestion earlier that perhaps the ATB and the credit unions could be one of the mechanisms that we provide some of that short-term uh, support. So I'm, I'm very open to All having right. those discussions. Thanks for raising it. Hugh has texted in from Calgary with a health care question. He said, what is the nurse LPN to patient ratio now compared to what it was in 1970? Hmm, that's a good question. I know that um, the Fraser Institute just recently did a report comparing Canada's cost of healthcare, which is among the highest, and I think it's actually the highest in the world, and Alberta's, is, I think, the highest in Canada, compared to um, the amount of hospital beds, the doctors, uh, per, number of doctors for, for the population, and a number of other measures. And um, in almost all cases, we're spending the most, and we're, we're middle of the pack or below at the bottom of the pack in, in delivering performance. So this is, I need people to understand this is not a funding issue. This is a management issue. It's a structure issue. It's who's making the decisions and who's getting the money and how they're prioritizing. We need far fewer managers and way more frontline. That includes doctors, it includes nurses, it includes LPNs, it includes paramedics. And that's the, the process that we're, we're going to be starting on very, very soon here. So I don't have the exact number, but I suspect we're probably worse off um, in that measure today than we were back in 1970. I'll, I'll see if I can dig up some stats on that. All right. Text message uh, on the Ched line. Does your government have any plans to make post-secondary more affordable to students? The, I have to tell you, I, I have, uh, I've kept my advanced education minister in place, Dimitri Nicolaitis, and one of the things I've asked him to do is to look at whether there are colleges that can be upgraded so that they can um, deliver um, more education to more students because the colleges are an avenue where you can start your, your program at a much more affordable level, especially if you can stay at home in your community. And then if you can transfer to one of the larger university, universities to finish your education, that, that could be one of our, our uh, ways in which, that we, in which we make it more accessible. 
So Dmitry Nikolaitis, our advanced education minister, is looking into that for me. And if you have some suggestions, send it to him and, and we'll see what we can do. All right. Phone lines are still full. Uh, most of them are uh, health-related questions, some that we have, uh, it looks like we have addressed already. Uh, others we may not get to. The text lines are uh, going crazy as well, uh, Premier Smith. I have a, a question that I'd like to close with. Previous leaders in this province, and for that matter throughout Canada, have made quite impressive victory speeches, as was yours in the by-election win on Tuesday, and promises. But then, while those promises may have, or while they have carried out with, with a few of the provinces' uh, promises, other promises were just partially addressed or left on the back burner. And all the electrics had were promises that were never fulfilled. So how and why will your leadership be different? You know, I guess the thing is I'm going to be held to account in about five months' time. We have a fixed election date of May the 29th. And, and you're sticking with that? We are sticking with that. and we do, So we don't have a lot of time to, to demonstrate that we are going to be different. I know that other leaders come in, and when you're this close to an election, the attitude is, oh, well, don't do anything to rock the boat. I, I have to tell you, we've got a lot of ground to make up from the past three and a half years. And if, if we don't start taking some serious action on the things Albertans have told us that they want us to do and expect us to do, then I think we're going to have a very difficult time winning a new mandate. So I'm I've, if you look at the mandate letters that I've given to my to my ministers, I've made them public for a reason. I want you to see the things that I've asked our ministers to work on. And we are going to be able to demonstrate to you six months from now the kind of progress that we've made. And, and two we'll more mandate letters two more mandate letters to be unveiled uh, when? What's, what's the two time more frame? Batches of, two more batches of mandate letters to be veiled, unveiled on November 15th and November 16th. I think we've got half of them out right now. But that's what we're going to be judged on. And what I hope to do is go to the public and say, hey, look, how do you like it so far? We've shown you what we want to do. We need a mandate to continue doing this. And uh, the people will be able to get that decision in May. All right. Premier Smith, thank you once again for joining us today. We'll do this again next week at this same time. My pleasure. Thanks, Wayne. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.